Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi. What? How's it going? Yeah, good, you? Yeah, alright, man. Great. <laughs> got, got coffee? Hope you didn't pick that up. <laughs> uh, nice coffee, is it? It's alright, actually, yeah. Good. Uh, how am I doing? I'm alright, thanks. Um, What's the view? We've not seen each other for a while. No, it's true. Been at work. I had a long time it. off work, which was nice. Why? Just um, annual leave. Living the dream. Tell you what's nice not working. <laughs> yeah. If I could not work and be paid. And be paid there you is should, a way of doing that. Yeah, I, you should do my job. Yeah. That's a joke, I work. Yeah, yeah edit that. Occasionally. Uh, fine, so nice time off, is it? Nice Very good, Christmas thanks. Lots years. of family, lots of family stuff. Um, and yeah, it felt like being a normal person, which is nice. You know, the shift worker, you just, I didn't really realise before, because I've worked Christmas lots of times, but you get that thing where you forever you go, oh, I'm working that day, but then that's good because I've got a couple of days off. Then I'm on tonight. So on these days, we can see these people. But you've forever got that... Planning. Yeah. Planning your Time off. Around Because work. you have yeah. to see all these different people. And this, because I had a, quite a lump of time off, luckily, I didn't, you didn't have to do it. And that's how it felt like being a normal person, which is, which is nice. Nice. We're yeah. back into the grind. Good. I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, no, I've been working. Not had much time off. Thanks for asking. You want me to ask? How are you? Huh? Yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. Good. Not had too much time off. No, but, Couple of days no, but you're at, when you're at work, you don't really do anything, do you, see? Well, no. no. Okay, I mean, occasionally. I work in our control centre now as well, so oh, yeah. I'm sometimes busy. Is I'll tell you what did happen the other day, actually. Less nice. Uh, as I was coming back from my shift, 10 to 10, uh, down the motorway, uh, zero degrees weather, and my car blew up. <laughs> tell me more. This sounds like a topic I can get on board with. <laughs> so, it blew up, just stopped, and I kind of rolled onto the hard shoulder, and then it was, long story short, an hour and a half waiting for the AA. Uh, and because it was so cold, I, was, um, I had a head torch on, running up and down the hard shoulder and doing star jumps. Really? Yeah. Um, what's wrong with the car? Uh, I'll tell you what's wrong with it, is the timing chain broke, <sighs> and uh, according to the mechanic, there's a 97% chance the engine is fucked. Yeah. Um, yeah. But hey-ho, you know, who needs a car? Yeah, exactly, especially when you've got a motorbike. 
Yeah, I don't ride it whatsoever. And then all you can do is scrape. You can, when you arrive home, when you leave, place, you don't have to scrape the ice off the windscreen. No. But when you arrive home, you do have to scrape the ice off of your balls. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you know, I, t I took it to work the other day, and when I was on my home, it was like because I'm a cheapskate and my helmet is quite cheap. Mm. I, uh, it was like ice cold sleet, and it was going in the visor into my face. So, so yeah, mechanically, vehicularly, in a good place. Yeah. Good. Thanks for thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. Um, again, should we introduce ourselves again for the? Yeah, if you want. You go first. Okay, I'm Silas. You? I'm Johnny. Um, great to be here. That's all I've got to say. I was really going to fuck the levels that you've done that. Great to be here. Move closer <laughs> to the mic. We're here again. Uh, people that haven't listened to the intro, we're going to talk, just have a general chit-chat about medical stuff, are we? Well, I think um, there's features. Get ready for them. That's going to be features. Uh, we're going to do a case review. Um, which someone sent in, thankfully. There is an email that you can send cases into. It is podcast at premed, P R E M E D dot org. That's wrong. <laughs> P R E <laughs> podcast at P R E M dash E D dot com. You should have got just premed, yeah, because then the dash com confuses it. Well, that brings us on to a point that's come up on Twitter. Go on. Pre-med in America means people that are pre-medicine yeah. trying to apply to med school. And you want to appeal to a multinational audience, do you? Because I couldn't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, ideally, but also the reason for the dash is therefore pre-ed, not pre-med. Med. So it's actually quite clear. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, it sounds like it, yeah. Pre-med, pre-hospital. <laughs> pre and are you going to correct people when they say, oh, I heard your pre-med podcast. you say, oh, no, it's pre Ed. Ed podcast, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is much it. better, you're right. I don't know what you're, rolls, I don't know what you're worried about. Rolls off the tongue. But so pre-hospital, resuscitation, emergency, emergency medicine. You should get that guy who was, a, who education. was saying on Twitter that this is the name shit. You should get him on as a guest because he's probably going to have more interesting stuff to say than <laughs> yeah, you and exactly, I. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't do a podcast because that's going to be quite a competitor. Anyway, so the features? Uh, we're going to do case, re case review. We're yeah. going to do clinical pearl. Yeah. You don't like the name. I can't be bothered to change it, so we'll go with <laughs> okay. it. And we're going to do, um, what's the other one? Mystery Diagnosis. Again, don't like the name. Yeah. But it, so, you know, it is, that is what it is, Mystery Diagnosis. So we're going to post a picture of, on, in this case, an ECG on Twitter, mm -hmm. and give a bit of info from the case, and people are going to say what they think is the cause, the diagnosis, mystery cause, mystery diagnosis. Yeah. Fine, so that's what we're going to do. Great. So here we are today at Fruitworks in Canterbury. Plug. Large, echoey space. <laughs> Hashtag plug. Multicoloured lighting, white walls, grey, some grey, trendy grey. Trendy grey, and if, if anyone from Fruitways is listening, we like it echoing or not, don't they're, we? They're not going to be listening. No, fair enough. But, but we plug. Hashtag plug. And the recording sounds so good because conduit. Don't look over at him because they can't hear you doing that on the audio. He's already told us that. 
This is for his benefit. <laughs> We're looking at, hey, hey Marcus. So we've got Marcus from Conduit is helping us. Uh, or helping us or carrying, carrying us. It's good to have at least a modicum of professionalism, isn't it? Yeah. Because otherwise it's all coming from you. The professionalism. And that's saying something. <laughs> so, so Marcus is bringing a bit more professionalism in. Yeah. And then I'm here. To, to bring it To way, derail bring it the whole down. thing. Yeah, yeah. Balance. Nice. Bring it down to earth. Because the thing is, is that you're not, um, you know, you're not like, what's the words? People can't associate with you at all. You're not um, relatable. You're not relatable at all. Thanks. Um, Why? It just unapproachable, wooden. Yeah. yeah. Um, quite rude. Yeah. Whereas I'm nice to people, polite. Didn't we just discuss how you are rude? Honest. No, no, you're not honest. recording. You're honest, and that is normally rude. Yeah, but honesty is good because if you be honest with people, people appreciate it. It's refreshing. And then, um, and usually, if you're being really honest about somebody, you don't have. You know, if you're being really honest. Because most of the time, when you're talking about people, either to them or behind their backs, you focus on the negative points. I especially, don't. yeah, you do. Especially other colleagues, you know, like there's still, there are a lot of that in the ambulance services. Oh, God, that person's, oh, they did this, they did this. And then that becomes a bit of a thing, doesn't it? But really, if you properly focus on people, you can usually find some interesting, good, all good stuff. So right. being properly honest, it's a good thing. That's where I'm going. God, that was but a yeah, way, wasn't it? But yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing about you, isn't it? Like, say, not approachable, not <coughs> relatable, and mm -hmm. that's why I'm here to soften the blow. Mm -hmm. Job with honesty and disrespect. Yep. Well, it's going to make for a for a great series. Good review so far. Season season three slash one. Um, all right, so we we've not changed the name of anything. People know what we're doing. Should we get into the case? Yes. Fine. The oh, I think Philip should have a jingle. Dun, 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 dun. Clinical case. Yeah. And you want to sing that now, or do you think you'll add it in there? I'll probably Good. dub over that. Uh, so uh, the case we've got is for a 70-year-old female um, with a three-day history of shortness of breath. Um, so the person who sent this in has actually managed to ask the patient. They followed up, which is nice a rare thing to be able to do and uh, they've given permission so if you are sending in a case to us do try and do that because it means that we can use it otherwise it's just another thousand emails to read uh, with no consent on them and that makes it pretty awkward because we can't use the stuff so this is for a, it was a 70 year old female and she's presented to a gp surgery um, she'd had a three-day history of progressive shortness of breath which started with a very short episode of chest pain on exertion. So she'd said she'd got out of a car to go to her uh, husband's appointment at hospital, walking across the car park, she had a sudden onset of central chest pain, um, and then sort of felt like she needed to go and sit down again, so went back to the car. Didn't feel particularly short of breath at the time, but then afterwards, as over this last three days, progressive shortness of breath, and it was a Monday morning that she rung the GP and managed to get in for an appointment. Right. So when she uh, presented to the doctors, um, she, and this is the information that they say they got on the MDT, so the data terminal in the ambulance, it was for a, um, a, a category two call at a GP surgery for a person with shortness of breath, and it just said SATs of 80%. Right, low. Go. That's SATs are low. Yeah, is that what you got? Yeah, what else? Um, she 
uh, in the other history, so when, you, when, when, the, when the crew got there, they, the other history she got from her was that she had a three to four week history prior to this of just a dry cough with no production. Um, she'd previously been a smoker. She'd smoked for about 30 years, uh, stopped about 10 years previous and never smoked. And six days prior to the initial onset of the chest pain, she'd had a tooth extracted. Right. My, may I chip in? So, yeah, so um, 70 year old, so you kind of think, well, based on that information, you're thinking a lot of risk factors, don't you? So, um, obviously, a few causes for chest pain. The concern would, or the kind of immediate rule outs are like life threatening things, dissection, aortic dissection, uh, some sort of ischemia, cardiac ischemia, clots, um, and then I guess less. I think someone with an aortic dissection would be able to walk to a GP surgery and get an appointment. Yeah, I think potentially. It depends because you can get um, a, oh, I don't know, you know the different layers of tissue? Yeah, I mean I do, but I'm not going to say the names some, of them. Some uh, media something. Very something. impressive. Well done. But you can like, dissect through a single layer, can't you, and then it's contained. Okay, right. And then you can completely rupture for all of them. I mean, you've completely ruptured your aortic arc. Yeah, if you've managed, if you've completely ruptured your aortic arc and you've managed to self-present present at a GP surgery, you're probably a ghost, aren't you, at that point? I would well suggest. done, you. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, but in terms of just chest pain, that's the kind of thing to rule out, isn't it? So, 70 year old and the smoker probably fits into the bracket for um, some sort of aneurysm, I think, in terms of risk factors. Also for clots, obviously. Um, well, she, I, it, looks, it looks like, the, from what I can see, it looks like the, the chest pain was an afterthought almost. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like they've really, like we do. Are you sure you haven't got any chest pain? Are yeah, you, well, you know, those, yeah. Until, they, until they admit it. Yeah, and they don't call it, they do, don't call it chest pain. Well, I did have this tightness about a pain. week ago. Yeah. Chest pain, C2. I say to people, just call it pain. You know what I mean? Like, because, <laughs> everyone, else, because everyone else is. Yeah, yeah. And anyone you see in your journey through the health system is going to call this chest pain. So if you keep calling it, if you keep insisting it's tightness, you're wasting your time. Just yeah, call it yeah. chest pain. No, that's fair. Um, yeah, so that's that. Oh, and then a little curveball for me, for you. Go on. Uh, tooth extraction, do you say? Or yeah. Or dental thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a, a tooth extraction, yeah. Endocarditis, myocarditis consideration. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want medical history? Uh, I'd like to get there first. Fine. Okay. You know we, work, we both work on a single response vehicle. This Correct. is a doctor's surgery. Correct. If the dispatcher has sent you to a... Uh, Doctor surgery is a single response vehicle. That is the sort of thing to, in, to sort of incite vein popping rage in my mind. So yeah. I don't like. So let's say we're on a, a double crewed ambulance. Oh, I don't know about that. No. <laughs> Not sure about that, but fine. For the, for, yeah, so we're there. That's the history. I want to do an assessment, please. Fine. Do you know what? I don't want to do an ECG straight away. You want to do an ECG straight away? I don't want to do an ECG straight okay. away. Because I'm not a big fan of that. You? No, I don't. Um, what if, what if the GP had already done an ECG when you turned up? Well, then I think I'd still not look at it immediately because I want to, I, you know, I'll wax lyrical shortly, but I'm into ECGs. Yeah. Um, and I think ambulance people especially look at them too early in their assessment, especially if, if you go to, like, if you go to GP surgery and you've already got one there, they'll look at it before they talk to the patient and then they'll see ST elevation, for instance, and get an immediate premature closure in their diagnostic process and be yeah. like, asystemic, 
and then yeah. all their questions to that patient will be biased, such as the chest pain thing. Yeah. And so for me, if you follow the medical model, you want to get history and assessment, and then your ECG is a kind of test, which you want to use to rule in and rule out your working diagnoses. Fine. Yeah, I agree with so that. So I always try and keep that in the forefront of my mind. So if they, and the other thing with the GP ECG, or like if, you, if you're given an ECG by another healthcare professional, my other consideration is that that's a different machine, and the electrode placement is statistically likely to be incorrect, unfortunately. Do you, do you mean, who by? Pretty much anyone, paramedics, nurses, doctors. Yeah, who is doing it well? Um, Electrophysiologists. Electrophysiologists. Um, me, because, I, <laughs> because I've taught it badly before, and uh, when people call you out on a, on a basic thing when you're teaching ECGs, it's yeah. embarrassing. Side note, I worked with, um, when I was a very, very nearly qualified paramedic, I worked with a, or not regularly, but on a few occasions worked with a, um, someone who'd been in this amateur service a very long time and insisted, uh, like he put the V1 and V2, you know, so high up the chest. Oh, classic. So like under the clavicles almost, you know, like. And then, the, but the other leads were always in sort of, you know, the right place. And I never told him. Unless, if it was a, if I, if I you know, because do ECGs on like everyone for, for mostly no reason. So if it was ever anything that I thought this ECG probably needs to be at least sort of close to being right, I just used to move it without telling him. Yeah. But, um, but if it was anything that was sort of broadly. I think a lot of the time it doesn't actually matter. I mean, I'm sure, looking at the literature, a lot of the time it doesn't matter that much. But for the purest in me, I find it frustrating. But it does, it does lead me on to a little side story. Um, so I, like I say, I work in the EOC uh, on the critical care desk. And um, so sometimes people call up with advice. Yeah. <laughs> critical care incidents. Yeah. And I, um, I, someone called me up not too long ago and said, right, we're, we're at a traumatic cardiac arrest. Can you just, um, I've not done a needle decompression before in practice. We're going to do it now. Can you just kind of talk me through it? And I was like, that's no problem at all. That's fair play to them for ringing. Yeah, yeah, happy to do that. Most people wouldn't have the, like, would, would consider their pride to be too dented to ring up and ask advice for that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, so it's good that someone put the patient first. Now, I, I encourage that. But? But <laughs> what I did do was I kind of confidently spoke them through the procedure and was like, yeah, fourth intercostal space. Oh, blah, blah, oh Yeah, <laughs> you picked up on yeah. there, Confidently, and then I was like... I think fourth intercostal space is actually ECGs. So, um, kind of embarrassingly, it was like, actually, actually, no, it's the second intercostal space, at which point they probably lost it all kind of. All Had they already put the needle in? Don't think so. Thank God for that. Luckily, I caught myself pretty quickly, but, but yeah, so that was, that was embarrassing. And to be fair, at that point, you know, they're using a cannula, aren't they? So, fourth intercostal space is not going to go anywhere near the heart or the lung, to be fair. Oh, because they're using cannula, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, so, <clears throat> no patient was harmed in that. In the, making of, in the making of this anecdote? No. Anyway, Let's so get back on. to the case. So you're in the doctor's room, patient's on a stretcher, semi-recumbent, on oxygen. Yeah. SATs are 97% up, up from 80. How much oxygen? Six litres, through one of those masks that they only seem to ever have at doctor's surgeries, which yeah. are like the ones that have casualty. The oxygen Where it mask. just goes... No, it's not a non-rebreathe mask. It's not a Venturi mask. It's just one of those ones where the tube straight into the mask, like yeah, it's nice. like a Playmobil toy. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Six litres a minute. Six litres a minute. That's 90%. Yeah, but she, uh, no, 97, but she's still short of breath, so still sure. technique. Sure. More info? Um, yeah, I mean, let's just get a full set of OBS. Okay, fine. So, um, so SATs on air were 
a rest rate of 28, and that wasn't dropping on oxygen. Mm -hmm. So the crew uh, changed her over, and she was on a 10, like 10 litres, 40% oxygen. She's got no fever, it says. Um, she's type 2 diabetic, and so they've done a blood glucose, which is 14.9. Probably not relevant, is it ever? Hypo? That's what it's relevant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unconscious, diabetic. Yeah, blood seizure. Yeah, good. Um, and she was hypertensive, very. Hyper said hypertensive. Right. Yeah, uh, 190 over 110. Fine. Um, and that's her, other med that's her medical history. Type 2 diabetes, hypertension. She's taking Ramipril 1.25 milligrams a day. Thank God, I don't know about doses. Fine, so, um, so immediately, like, we know risk factors, uh, Ramipril is hypertension. Age is a risk factor for cardiac disease and things. Yep. Smoker or ex-smoker, do you say? Ex-smoker. Uh, fine, so risk factors there. Any other medical history? No. No. Oh, diabetes. Yeah, well, uh, you said, when you say any other medical history, I've just said I'm diabetes, not, so try and, try and listen. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Diabetes. Uh, and that is concerning for a, um, like, ischemia without chest pain type picture, yeah. isn't it? As much as cardiologists wouldn't believe that, that is something we find in practice. Yeah. Is anything? Isn't it, isn't it the case that with ACS, though, this is significant sidebar, get ready, that there isn't really any test like, um, like, or symptom, sign or symptom that has a really high degree of specificity. Yeah, like, there's not been a lot of research into it. There's one paper which I have to now find and then link in the show notes. Bad luck. Uh, which basically found, uh, it, it looked, I think there's like five, 600 patients, but it looked at symptoms of, symptoms that patients had whilst um, having an ACS yeah. thing. And, uh, they found that chest pain was not very sensitive or specific. I think like, it yep. was in about 20%. Um, okay. But the most accurate finding was, uh, I think the two most accurate findings were nausea and sweating. For MI or ACS? Yeah, ACS. Yeah. Yeah. All right, there you go. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, so she's sweating? No. Cool. Uh, nausea? No. Nope. Vomiting? No. Fine. Um, so risk factors we've got, medical history we've got, and the diabetes makes you a bit concerned that the shortness of breath, even in the absence of current chest pain, uh, is a kind of ischemic thing. Yeah. Um, and so then I want to do a kind of clinical assessment, um, which I think is, there's benefit in doing a proper hands-on clinical assessment in addition to OBS, yeah. which I think is often overlooked in the ambulance service. When you say hands-on clinical assessment, what do you actually mean? So like I kind of think people get OBS and kind of go on the OBS a lot, and it's one of those uni cliches, isn't it, not to... Look don't at, trust the monitor. Don't look at them. Look at the patient, Treat the not patient, the monitor. Not, yeah, that kind of thing. And, but there's, it kind of rings true in the sense that I like to do a bit of an airway assessment in case they decompensate. You need to provide airway management. Yeah. Um, and then work through to a cardiorespiratory assessment, kind of auscultate the chest, percuss their chest if I think it's a pneumothorax, never really percuss the chest. Um, Does anyone? Do, have you seen anyone percuss the chest? I have done that before for a, what seemed like a spontaneous pneumothorax, and it was. Yeah. So that's quite useful. But did you, did you actually gain anything from the percussion? Yeah. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. It made me think pneumothorax and I was correct. Mm. But um, yeah, it's rare, isn't it? But a cardiorespiratory assessment. And then the other thing I think that people miss often, which I found more and more useful recently, is like um, feeling like peripheral pulses and um, cap refill and the kind of warmth of like peripheral warmth, like warm and peripherally well perfused, because you can kind of differentiate between maybe like, a, you know, if a patient's shocked 
like a septic shock versus a cardiogenic shock. Mm. So like in this kind of patient, I think it'd be useful because you want to know if they've got like a bounding peripheral pulses and are they really warm and a fast capillary filled peripherally? Yeah. Which would kind of indicate they're probably not obviously cardiogenically shocked. Yeah. Or have they got kind of weak peripheral pulses, delayed peripheral cap refill that implies that their heart is struggling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I think um, I think that I don't I don't I probably don't do that enough in pra in practice, I wouldn't say like most people, but I think that's because when you as when you're with someone and looking at them, you know, it's much easier to get a get an impression of generally how they are. Not everyone, obviously. Some patients will just go off the cliff like without any warning. Yeah. But most patients have have so those signs of deterioration which you can generally you can generally see. But then you're right, I think that like things like cap refill and and like respiratory rate is one of those where it's like those subtle signs of significant deterioration. Yeah, and, and that's why I think I do it more recently because I never used to do it that much. And I think it's taught, like you do an ALS course uh, and it's taught you have to do that. Mm -hmm. And because on an ALS course you're talking about resuscitation. But in reality, in our practice um, of like ambulance practice, 99% of the patients aren't resuscitation patients. And so you can get away with not doing that. Or just talking to them. Yeah. And just take them to hospital. And yeah. everything's like fine. And you never really need to do that. And so because you don't need to, you don't do it. And then it just doesn't become part of your thing. And so and when I started this critical care role, I didn't do that much. But I've had to like consciously build it back in because I'm obviously seeing more patients that are sick. Yeah. And you kind of realise that actually that is really beneficial. That's, yeah, fair and enough. Then, that's a good point. And the classic thing, which is what I say to students as well, is like that, that's the classic... Um, uh, example of when that is, a, is beneficial is like a shocked patient. You can you can pick up shock on OBS, but you can't really differentiate the type of shock in your head just based on the OBS. Yeah. So I think combining them. No, that makes sense. I think um, I, I agree with you actually. Like the benefit of a the the benefit of like a really good primary survey. Yeah. It, it, even for you know, and it's and when you're doing it when you're dealing with a patient in like a scenario based patient, like you say on an ALS course where they're this patient's collapsed and they're unconscious. Going through that process, ABC process, is much easier than doing it someone who you're talking to. Yeah. But I always, I always do the same thing if I'm ever teaching anyone. So I'm encouraged, you know, just think about your primary survey. And even, even if you do the ABC in the first 10 seconds when you walk through the door, you know, because it's someone who's complaining of an ankle injury, it's yeah. still really important to have that process in your head. And, they, and as you get more experience, the ABC thing as well, I think, is not... Like it's a recurrent thing you do, isn't it? But and it's different levels. So people are always like, oh, do we do we do all the airway management before you look at breathing? And I'm like, not really, because you you do you talk to someone and then you've done ABC fine really briefly, but then you go back to it and do like I say, because I deal with patients that decompensate quite a lot. I've now built into my practice. I normally do like a, a mini, poorly done anaesthetic type airway assessment. And most of your work is poorly done, isn't it, as well? So at least yeah, it's a theme yeah, exactly. that and you so carry through your practice. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is um, poorly, poorly done, poor assessment, uh, just to add in really quite poorly done poor practice. airway assessment. Yeah. But, but better than nothing. What do you do? Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Stick your tongue out. Opens. Yeah. Basically, just like when I did my anaesthetics placement, just whatever they said to the patient. I don't know what it means. Sounds like um, you're overreaching, to be fair. So Let's I'll do get that. back to the case. I'll do that. Uh, airway assessment, and that's my point, is that you kind of build in more comprehensive airway, more comprehensive breathing as you go through the thing, isn't it? Yeah. So with her, a bit of a hands-on assessment, primary, formally, and then obviously it's kind of concerning for 
cardio respiratory I've got some information about primary survey oh, if you're interested so they've said um, no like no chest pain on like palpation of the chest there's no abnormal signs as in like good chest rise bilateral chest rise uh, no they listen to her chest and they didn't hear anything untoward because everyone has a step so chest sounds normal chest sounds normal sure. chest sounds normal Fine. and that's more, that's more isn't it? any cough or anything do we mention yes yeah, so in the history it said she had a three to four week history of a dry cough dry cough and she's that. and um and her husband who was also there noted that apparently and they said he, they, they, they had, he had sort of like bullying her to go to the doctors for weeks and weeks and weeks because of this cough because it was so out of the ordinary yes, and, then, um, and then she went when she was saturating 80% so. I'm loath to mention COVID but as she uh, she actually had she'd done a, she had a negative lateral flow test two well, on two consecutive days well symptomatic yeah Fine. I don't think they're that sensitive or specific they're not that accurate during symptoms of lateral flow? Yeah, I'd say at this point in the pandemic, I, I, I've lost all interest yeah, in discussing. No in discussing yeah, I was so just let's, actually regurgitating. Let's, let's move on immediately. I've heard on Twitter. But anyway, so, so the immediate considerations then are like um, cardiac versus respiratory. I think if she's got a dry cough, you know, if she's got a cough, it's a bit respiratory. Um, but to have a non-productive cough and a uh, clear chest um, and no fever you mentioned, um, it's not kind of classic chest infection, pneumonia type thing. No. Um, and the fact that this shortness of breath has been um, since some exertional chest pain uh, kind of points to a bit of a cardiovascular cause. Yep. Um, so they're my, that's what my kind of working diagnoses probably at this point. Um, and so then some more um, focused questions I'd probably ask. She's tachycardic. Did I mention that? That was in the OBS as well. 130, uh, they said no. her rate was. Yeah, fine. Sorry. So, um, some more closed questions then before the ECG and things, which I would like. Um, would Just be... get to the ECG, mate. By this point, I know you're trying to make a point. By this point, I would say 100% of ambulance staff would have done an ECG. Yeah, but is I'm, that a bad I'm thing? I'm trying to make a point. No, let's do an ECG then. Fine. You're yeah. trying to push me through it. Go for it. Well, no, I'm not trying Can to push you through ECG? it, but I think you need to be realistic about what you would actually do in your practice. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't verbally talk my way through everything I'm doing, so I'd probably talk <laughs> I'll do it quicker. Yeah. You, you know, by this point, you would have been talking about yourself a lot more, I think, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, yeah uh, heart rate's tight. I'm Silas. Have you heard of I'm Silas. Have you heard of pre, <laughs> pre, pre med? Here's my business card. <laughs> Just pop that in you. Fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my closed questions would be more kind of cardiac stuff, which I'd like to know. So, um, uh, like heart failure. You're not interested. Give me an easy No, I'm interested. Go on. Okay. So, um, uh, is she more breathless lying down, sitting up? Uh, uh, no, on, haven't on got exertion. that information. Uh, exertion. Exertion. And it's very limited, it says, like, as in to transfer from the beds in the doctor's surgery to the, to the ambulance trolley, which is in the corridor of the doctor's surgery. Yeah. She was really short of breath. And, and, and even, and from the, this is, so they took the oxygen off, transferred her, put her back on the oxygen in the ambulance, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, so that's the other thing, because I think it is actually, because you kind of brushed over that, but I think it's useful to take someone off oxygen. Big time, you know, if you yeah. go to a GP surgeon, they're already on oxygen. Yeah. A lot of people often, because they might not be exposed to these kind of patients often, on an ALS course, you put oxygen on until you've ascertained their stats or whatever. So it's, it's a really useful diagnostic thing, I think, to take someone off oxygen yeah. and do your own assessment on room air. 
So yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think the speed of desaturation is interesting. But I, don't, I, I think that's one of those things that I do and people do. But is there, there's probably not necessarily any like, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily based oh, on... Oh, yeah, I don't know the literature and stuff. No, but, but, but it helps. I think it helps because it gives a picture of like, this person is quite deterioration. Sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't need really evidence to say that if someone desaturates... No. <laughs> yeah. Get that out of your evidence. <laughs> that's like the um, randomised control trial of parachutes versus not. Yeah. Not necessary. And what was the outcome? Uh, if you're not wearing a parachute, I th well, they've not done the trial. I don't think you can get ethical approval, but if you're not wearing a parachute, I think you're less likely to survive. Got it. If you jump out of the plane. That's yeah, the, that's the theory. That's yeah, the hypothesis, fine. not tested. No, I understand what you're saying. Got an ECG? Yeah, here you go. Oh, that crinkling's going to be really Oh, fuck to off. Edit crinkling. that out. You're not going to be able to edit out it's on paper. Fine. Also, um, heart rate. I've, this is, I've learned this from a mistake before. Uh, we said we we're going to talk about mistakes. I left someone at home with a PE once, and uh, and they died. I don't think. Tell me more. Yeah. So at the time, they they had some sense of a PE, um, but over like the all, m the majority of symptoms and history and stuff pointed to a chest infection, and they also had a productive cough, a temperature. They'd been prescribed antibiotics that day by the right, GP, yeah. and um, and so I spoke. I think we spoke to the GP. And the plan was like, you know, this is the cause, leave them at home. Yeah, sure. But then subsequently, I think they that died. evening, they came into hospital with a massive PE. And then and subsequently died. died. Yeah. So it's difficult to say whether they had the PE at the time. Probably did. Um, Probably, but... Did um, you do... Um, did you do, Like, this is a, not debate, internal debate I have, because of leaving people at home with chest pain. Mm -hmm. So, like... Didn't have chest pain. No, fine. Okay, leaving people at home with breathlessness, you know, or yeah. leaving people at home who, um, who you attend who have a degree of risk, you know, like that sort of situation where you so anyone who presented with short of breath there's always going to be an argument from people who are ignorant to the way that you have to work yeah. in, in the modern nhs is say well if they've got shortness of breath they could be having their mic or they could be having a pe yeah and so when you leave people at home did you use did you use a wells score no no uh honestly it was so long ago yeah because that's do... something that i that's something that i use in my practice and to like to risk stratify because that's what it's for. But well, no, it's not. This is the point I think yeah. I'm trying to make I've... is that people use it as a risk stratification for PE. Yeah. And actually, it's not for that. It was intended as a in, like indication for CT or yeah. indication for further diagnostic testing. Yeah, exactly. So you don't. And so I've been I've been through the same thing before, and I used to use it the same when I was doing kind of standard ambulance operational practice. Yeah. I used to do the same thing, and I used to think I was very clever by writing that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> by, yeah. Oh, well score of whatever. Yeah. But then, yeah, the more the, like when I I did postgrad for my current job and stuff, and the more you kind of look at the evidence and. Sorry, uh, you CCP are you? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I did, did a postgrad. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but the more you look at evidence and kind of learn a bit more about it, and I started to analyse those kind of concepts more. Yeah. You just kind of realise, actually. You do you a bit of a, a loop, and you're like, that's not really relevant. This is pointless, yeah. And you're just kind of, uh, you're not really adding, any, uh, adding anything apart from making yourself feel better. No. Right, come on, you've got, and yeah, fine. You've got this ECG in front so of you. So ECG rate is fast, we know. And so my learning point from leaving that person at home is they had a mild tachycardia. Uh, I think that was that job. What's mild? I think it's like 110 or something. That is mild, isn't it? I would leave them at home as well. Yeah, but I, don't, uh, but I didn't... And I, I probably would have, if I'd have considered PE, I probably still would have left them at home because overwhelmingly it was more likely to be a chest infection. Yeah. But I didn't consider it. No. And now I felt bad. In fact, I didn't sleep for a while. How long are you talking? I was new. I was new. Now I'd sleep. Yeah. Sleep quite well. Like um, so the rate is fast. 
that wasn't the fastest either. It was up to 130. The, um, in the doctor's surgery, where they'd done, um, not mentioning the surgery, because this is going to make you laugh, um, in the doctor's surgery, the rate had, when she presented, uh, this is post 12 lead ECG, they had done, uh, the rate was about 130, and they decided to do uh, Valsalva. Um, <laughs> So they got her to blow into a syringe and her rates mm, temporarily dropped to 20. <laughs> At which point they all shit themselves. It, it reverses. Do they then get her to suck the syringe? <laughs> take it back, take it back, take it back. <laughs> That's a good yeah. joke. Um, fine. Yeah, so I won't do this out, but the rate is fast. Here it's 120. You said it's up to 130. Uh, rhythm looks regularly regular uh, to me, not in a rhythm strip. Um, intervals then, so the PR interval was normal. QRS is not broad, and the QTC is normal. Um, axis, again, normal. Axis, um, rate, rhythm, intervals, axis. Hypertrophic changes, none, obvious. Looking for infarcts or kind of clot type stuff. Um, so there's some anterior leads and depression, or anterior lateral leads and depression, um, which is also present in lead two. Um, with no obvious elevation for that to be reciprocal to. A uh, bit of elevation AVR, actually. Um, Quite a lot of elevation AVR. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the most significant. Quite a lot, but that's the only place there's elevation. Yeah. Um, which, and, and there's some evidence to say that, because, you know, you normally talk about two contiguous leads. Elevation, yeah, got it, yeah. But AVRs are kind of, um, what's the exception to that rule, isn't it? So you can get elevation in just AVR with, like, a left main coronary occlusion. Right. Uh, yeah. Knowledge. Knowledge. Write that down. Um, and I won't. I won't, depression and all the other leads, which is reciprocal to that. Um, so it could be indicative of an occlusion in like an MI type thing. Um, but then given the tachycardia and the dry cough um, and uh, the breathlessness and the hypoxia as well, I'd be considering a PE. Yeah, right. And you can get a non-specific ischemia with a PE as well. Do you know how much? Do you know how many? I've, I've looked this up. Knowledge. Give me knowledge. 50%, up to 50% of people presenting with a PE have ST changes. But that's as, okay. but from the stuff I've read, limited, that's as, that's as specific as they want to be right. about ST changes. Okay. And they, people go on about this uh, S1Q3, T3 thing, what's it called? S1Q3. That that's what it's called. There you go. S1Q3, T3 thing. Uh, and people get obsessed with it, don't they? Have you ever found that? People do service. get obsessed with it. You get that's like, as you, uh, oh, we think clinically sounds like it might be a PE ECG, ECG. Has you S one S one Q three T three? That's well, no, no. And do you know how I've looked into that before? Twenty percent or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, so it's present in twenty percent of people with PE and twenty percent of people without, roughly. Not helpful. It's not helpful just based on that information, but it is kind of again in in terms of how you're looking at the information. So what is indicative of? It's like S one Q three T three right bundle branch block. Um, and right axis deviation are some of the signs you get with right ventricular failure. Right. And so if, you're, if you've got a PE that's caused such bad flow yeah. that you've got resultant right heart strain, you well, can get those changes. And the thing is, you can get that from a PE, but you can also get it from like COPD or a pneumothorax or whatever. I think at this point is, the, is where I probably would start being like, what is wrong with her? Because these, so you've got the, so then. That's so interesting, because that's what you do. I'd just be having this chat 
with someone random while she's agonal breathing on the yeah. floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you if you the QRS complex. And if the yeah. right ventricle, yeah. Like because if you, because this, you know, like the hist you can get a bit bogged down in history, can't you? Because the people, another thing that people are like, ooh, dental, dental work, that's a risk. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And, um, and so she's got, so, you know, like maybe the, the history is taking you down the track of like PE. And it, you, but then you could start to get a bit, you know, almost like confused by the route that you need to take because she's, but this ECG, she's got a lot of ST changes. So, you know, so like the lateral ST depression, inferior, she's got a bit of ST, you know. And so there is this ischemic changes on her ECG and then she's had this episode of chest pain and the breathlessness, she's diabetic, and so therefore she, you know, that if she was having an MI, it may not present in the same way. Yeah, and so, and, and that leads to, I think what you're getting at, hopefully, not Go jumping on. the gun, is that leads to some decision-making that's, that's unique to pre-hospital care. Yeah. That you immediately kind of think, you don't need to know what is causing this, but you do need to know whether it's an MI or not, because, yeah, because depending where you are, are you, you know, is your nearest hospital a PCI sensor? And if it's not, you need to decide whether you're gonna take them to the nearest or whether you're going to PCI. Yeah, and they, and, the, the, the crew discussed it with the PPCI, that was the, that was the decision. Because, there, and there's always there's this debate about like, do you, are you use, are we using, in the local area that we work, and this is from our locality, are we using the PPCI centre as like a, not a, like a, a, like a shared decision making. ECG diagnosis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not what it, they used it as it doesn't sound like. But they sent ECG and said that this person's got ischemic changes. They've had an episode of chest pain. Clinically, it sounds more like a PE. Are you interested in seeing them? What did they say? No. No. Um, yeah, so that would be my thinking at the moment. So um, ECG, as it is, is uh, it doesn't jump out saying it's definitely an MI. And, and another thing with um, ECGs in, in the context of MI, in my experience, and I think in some literature I won't reference because I can't remember where it is. Good. But it's rare to get a tachycardic MI. Yeah. Like normally, and you see it in kind of practice with most people with experience will kind of see that. Is that if someone's got having a big STEMI, then the heart rate is normally 60, 70. And that's because the heart's not going to, unless they're in cardiogenic shock, which again is rare in MI, and their heart is not going to increase its rate and then increase its oxygen consumption when it's already starved of oxygen. Yeah. So tachycardia again, is, is a bit of a thing that takes me away from MI in this diagnostic process. But um, so, And so the differentiation in terms of diagnosis for me is like cough, um, chest symptoms, is either going to be some sort of chest infection, an MI or a PE at the moment, I think. What about the um, endocarditis thing that's there? Yeah, I probably should have listened to it. When you're listening to the chest, I probably would listen to heart sounds. Would you? Yeah. But my diagnostic process is, is there a murmur? But, but, but it basically, for me, I think, like, and I don't know how evidence-based this is, but if someone's got like a, a history of a dental thing, and then I'm looking for like temperature, heart murmur, and I'll probably do a, a little echo with the ultrasound. Oh, fuck off, mate. Hello. Ultrasound. Um, which should, but don't you do an ultrasound course? Is that what we're leading on to? Oh, yeah. Oh, not oh. yet. Well, we'll advertise that in future episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so... Most, but people, most people haven't got a point of care ultrasound. Do you they? listen to heart sounds? No. Why not? Uh, I don't find that it adds much. It's never, you know, like I was taught them and I, I, in practice, I've never, I've listened to them and when I've heard something um, that's different, it's usually been just to sort of confirm the history that they've given. For example, if they said, I've, got, I've known to have aortic stenosis and you can hear a murmur. 
you think, you know, that's, that, that's fair enough. But I don't, it's never, in the times where someone has said, oh, did you listen to heart sounds? I've thought, what's the point? Because like for this, clinically, it's a PE. If she's got endocarditis, it's not gonna change our decision making or treatment. She's, she's gonna be going to hospital. Yeah. So I, I just don't like, yeah, I don't find that it's, and, and, and the, the, sometimes the more you add in, the more you can persuade yourself away from the stuff that's bad. Yeah, I think when you add in stuff like that, you need to be aware of your own biases and stuff in terms of diagnostic. Yeah, what reasoning. I'm aware of is my own incompetence. Right, well, it's good to be aware of it. Yeah, because I don't, it's know, funny because I don't know. And even, it's even. I'm I, also aware of that. My, my incompetence, <laughs> yeah. And I'm the same when I listen to, listen to chess. You know, when you listen to a chest and someone says, someone comes along and says, oh, I hear something totally oh, different. Mate. I shouldn't get you started on I've got two points I need to make. I'll try to keep them short. Listening to chess. When people talk about this auscultating lungs uh, and tactile phrenesis and all this kind of stuff, like my uh, excuse for not being good at it is that um, I think, again, the accuracy of, of chest sounds in terms of picking up what we're trying to pick up, um, like pulmonary edema and, and um, pneumonia, or chest infections and things, I think it's like 20% of the time yeah. uh, is accurate what you're hearing. So often there's, like, there's pulmonary edema, you just can't, then chest sounds clear. So I think you're better off just um, having a listen and adding that into your whole assessment of the patient. Yeah, I think that I think that, that like listening to chest sounds is very good at adding like either adding or taking away from your assumption based on their history and clinical yeah. presentation. Because because you like I say the thing with heart sounds is that if I heard something if I heard something that's untoward it doesn't fit the narrative that I'm following. And that's, and that's why I kind of recommend to people adding in heart sounds, because you can, you can get taught to listen to different types of heart sounds and stuff, and I don't think it's that useful. But what I do think is if you assess a patient, and then you're like, oh, this patient, for instance, has got a cough, um, and they're hypoxic. So it, does their chest sound crackly or not? If it sounds crackly, I think they've got pulmonary edema. If it's not, I think they've probably got something else. Like, and that's what you really need to know. Yeah. The same with heart sounds, and it's happened a couple of times in practice. Like, it goes to an older person that's had a fall, like a non-injury fall, do an ECG, listen to heart sounds, they've got a banging systolic murmur. Okay, well, you know, they might not have aortic stenosis, but it's a really common cause of falls in older people, so I might still leave them at home, but tell their GP and they can get a follow-up. Yeah. And I think, I don't have the numbers, but there's the British Heart Foundation have got, I think it's BHF, have got quite a good calculator of actually how common aortic stenosis is and how accurate heart sounds are at picking it up. Um, well, there you go, you've convinced me. There you go. I'll, I'll add in the show notes some stats. I've actually put it on the clinical board at work before, so... Yeah, yeah I think to, I drew a cock on it, didn't I? Yeah, you normally do draw a penis. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you've just admitted to that as well. I'm just going to forward this on to the managers. Um, anyway, they're, not, they're not bothered about it. They are not bothered about it. They've seen that stuff that you do, and they've that's gone, the, oh, it's good, that he, they it's good that he's doing that, that five-minute clinical shiz. Oh, it's funny, someone's drawn a big cock on it. <laughs> do you reckon that's why they don't respond to my multiple datixes where I name you specifically? You're doing a date expat when I draw a cock on something. Yeah, I've got a... There's not, there's not enough time in the world, mate. <laughs> um, anyway, back to ECG. So where are we? So we're either thinking MI, PE, chest infection, not got a productive cough, not got pyrexia, got ischemia on ECG. Makes you think probably more occlusion-y yeah. than it is chest infection-y. Yeah. Um, and so then you're kind of narrowed down to MI versus PE, PPCI versus not kind of thing. Yeah. I think looking at this ECG and given the, the context, um, the tachycardia, the non-specific ischemic changes, um, and the breathlessness more than chest pain, probably makes me think more PE. Yep. I personally, would I send it to PCI? 
maybe. I mean, there is elevation AVR, so I think it can't hurt, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if they said no, and I'm not entirely sure I would send it um, because it doesn't really meet the criteria for what we've locally agreed with our yeah, sure. cath lab services. Um, but would I take them to a PPCI-capable hospital? Um, probably. Interesting. But I'm currently thinking PE. Did she desaturate into the oxygen? Yeah, you mentioned that. big yeah. time. And again, that's, that's not classic with MI, is it? No. Um, so I was talking to someone about this recently, but you know, the kind of classic MI, again, is like a normal rate, ischemia on the ECG, and their oxygen is normally fine. If they've got acute left ventricular failure from an anterior MI, for instance, they might have pulmonary edema, hypoxia, cardiogenic shock. But again, that's going to come into your assessment, like peripherally cool, um, obviously kind of working really hard with their work of breathing. Um, and that's when I'm going to listen to the chest and be like, I can hear basal crackles, or that's what we're yeah. kind of looking for, that kind of thing. The thing I think that's interesting about this case is that the history that they've got would be like, the, you know, this, the shortness of breath, the tachycardia, the de you know, sudden desaturation, the transient chest pain, you would be thinking, I should probably, this PE, you know, and obviously you've got those other things, but I think pr like primarily that would be where I was heading. Yeah. And then, but what happens as you go along the track is you get stuff that sort of starts to persuade you away from it. Yeah. You know, so, they're, they're, so the episode of chest pain and then, then no more chest pain, you think, oh, she's diabetic, is she having an MI, it's presenting differently. Then you've got these ischemic changes and you think, oh, I know you can get ischemic changes with PE, but uh, you know, these are quite non-specific, I don't know what they are, you know, and then, and that's, that's, all you, that's all the information you get is that oh, you can get ST changes with PE, and then you've got the dental work thing. And I think that it, you know, the more information you get in this case, the more complicated it becomes. Yeah, and I think there's, there's something about, um, that's being aware of your own like, diagnostic process, because biases really come into play. And, and I think the other thing, like with the primary assessment, in the ambulance service, like norm, you know, normally chest pain is an ACS type thing yeah. or nothing really, and and um, and so it's only occasionally you get these kind of curveballs, and so you have to really consciously not get um, drawn into uh, a kind of you know like going down the wrong path diagnostically. Yeah, you have to be really conscious of your own biases with that. And I think what I would do in this case as well, as soon as I thought of PE, I'd go back and like fill her lower limbs and ask questions that are specific to PE that I wouldn't have done in my primary survey because I never really remember. And get ready, here comes the clincher. Unilateral calf swelling. Just uh, an episode of calf pain Yeah. Uh, for about three or four days prior to the onset of the chest pain. Uh, you're not really going to get more of a like the history, it sort of knocks it out of the park, doesn't it really? Yeah. Like she's probably... You know, and, and I, I would say in my career, I haven't been to that many PEs that I've been, I've been to patients who have presented weirdly, like syncope, dizziness, that I've not left at home, like you, you reckless bastard. Um, I've taken to hospital because I've gone like, well, this is weird, I don't know what's wrong with you, and they've subsequently been diagnosed with a PE. Yeah. I've, I, I've been to maybe one case which has been like this in my career that I've been like, oh yeah, she's, she's PE, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's pretty, kind really I think her presentation because it's you know you would have yeah. to be pretty reckless or stupid to miss this as being PE wouldn't you yeah is it a PE yeah quite cool 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 so um but ask me how I know how do you know they um so they she was conveyed to hospital local ED 
um, called in as, uh, they called it in because she was desaturating and group PE. Yeah. They put her in an isolation bay, shut the door because they thought she might have COVID pending, a, pending a PCR, which she had come back negative. Um, thankfully, she didn't arrest while she was in that room on her own. Um, and then they, and this is where the, there's, I guess, some, not for us because we don't work in hospitals, so who gives a shit, but the, <laughs> um, there's some debate because they did it. We might have a hospital listener. You reckon? Yeah. No, 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 I don't. So they did a D-dimer. Yeah. Um, which was raised. 8.99. Does that mean much? It doesn't mean anything to me. Person? It didn't mean anything to me until I Googled it, and they say that, like, the normal range would be less than one, I think. Fuck is that me. again? I have to Google it again now because is I've that again said it. not? I feel like, and this is based on just a conversation I think I've had before. But is it not? It's not particularly accurate for P specifically, is it? No. So that's it. So, um, so, uh, so again, so D dimer has a really good sensitivity, but not specificity. So find that for some listeners. So it's a very accurate test at um, finding D dimer protein. <laughs> But yep. it doesn't specifically diagnose one thing over the other. Yeah. So the NICE guidelines say if someone comes in clinically presenting as a PE, they should have a, with a and they use and they use Wells the Wells score. So yeah. And they say if they've got a moderate to high Wells score, then they should be they should go for a C, that should be indication for CT angio. Yeah. If you need more um, evidence, then you should do a D dimer. So what they did with this lady was that they, she, she, she was going to go for a CT to confirm it, but they'd done the bloods first, D-dimer. When the D-dimer came back as being high, I think, then they started her on low, what's it called, low molecular weight. Heparin. That's it. Yeah, nice. Which is what? Clexane. So they gave us some Clexane. Is that what Clexane is? I think so, yeah, noxaparin. Is that right? Same thing? I've got no idea. <laughs> blood thinning drug. Yeah, they put her on some blood thinners. <laughs> a blood thinner. So they did that, and then they, um, then she was going to get a CT. So it's oh. almost as though they were like hedging their bets a bit. Yeah. So that is nice. And how was the outcome? She all right? Fucking no idea, mate. Excellent. That's the, that's where the information stops. Bad nice. luck. So they. Um, so, that, but I mean, I, I, you know, that D dime is enough, isn't it, for me? Yeah. I'd if I was if I went back to follow up. And they were like, this is, the, you know, with that clinical history, a D-dime is that, is high. I'd yeah. be like, yes, P. Yeah, nice. Smashed it. In spite <laughs> Smashed of, it. In spite of the, in spite of the yeah, evidence suggesting that D-dime isn't. Yeah, so whatever learning points you got from that? You want learning points? Yeah, got any. Um, if someone's that short of breath with low SATs, they probably need to go to hospital. Correct. Agreed. Uh, so just then in terms of the, uh, I'd say in terms of the physiology then of... I think it's useful to consider. Fuck. Because there's, there's a difference between like a... Because um, if you CT scan a bunch of healthy people, I think a few of them have PEs. Probably but for me, I think that you can get like a, a peripheral PE, as in like some of the small vasculature of the lung, or a more central one that's going to be in, the, you know, like a saddle PE that sits over the main pulmonary artery or arteries in the lung. Yeah. And so that's going to make a big difference there. Um, like cardiovascular physiology, isn't it? Yeah, but then, and, and that's the thing for me, I think I would be looking at this, and I don't know if there is any way of, like people have multiple small PEs, yeah. they, they're the ones that is found incidentally, you know, and they sort of happen yeah. to have a blood test, and this is probably the cause of your mild breathlessness. But for yeah. a woman like this, I would be concerned that this is a 
big PE. You know, she's got, and, I don't, and I'm not basing that on any, you know, evidence. Bad luck. Most of my practice isn't. But, you know, you, she's got like very quick desaturation down to a low SATs for someone who's previously healthy. She's tachycardic and she's got ischemic changes, suggesting that there's probably some yeah. stress in her heart. So the heart's kind of struggling. Yeah. Any other learning points from your reading? No. No, me neither. Um, clinical Pell? Do you want a clinical Pell? Go on. A clinical, a clini clinical Pell. Here it comes. Get ready for the clinical Pell. Here's one that I think might be useful. Um, so this is from the 2007 European Society of Cardiology STEMI guidelines, and it's about right and left bundle branch block. Great. What have you been told about left versus right bundle branch block in the context of someone who thinks having an MI? Uh, in the context of someone who thinks having an MI, left bundle branch block, very clinically relevant and concerning if it's new, right bundle branch block, can, can be benign, um, right heart, PE. Yeah. And so that's what everyone's often taught. And so people are like, oh, left bundle concerning, right bundle, leave them at home kind of thing, to exaggerate slightly. Yep. So um, the ESC guidelines are clear that both are equally as concerning as the other. And so the quote from them is, to consider a primary PCI strategy when persistent ischemic symptoms occur in the presence of left or right bundle branch block. Okay. Um, and all bundle branch block patterns are considered equal in terms of the difficulty, difficulty of interpreting ST elevation. So the clinical poll there is right or left bundle branch block equally as concerning. Yeah, well, no, you need to add some context because you can't say that because how many patients with COPD do you go to that are presenting with breathlessness primarily caused by their COPD? I'm talking about the context of MI. Yeah, okay, well, you didn't say that. So, you, so okay, so you, said, you go the, to a patient. Now, hold a second. <laughs> you go to a patient. Shut the fuck up for a minute. You go to a patient, you assess them, you think, oh, I think they might be having an MI. ECG. Okay. Shows, one ECG shows left, the other shows right in this kind of scenario in your head. Equally as concerning. Clinical pearl. Brilliant. That is clinical pearl. I like it. Equally as concerning. Why do you keep looking to my right? I don't know. It's kind of praying me out. Strange, isn't it? I think I'm thinking um, about what to say next. I would suggest that um, in, from coming from an average paramedic, both in um, sort of level of practice and level of knowledge, I would suggest that any ECG changes in the context of convincing ACS symptoms uh, is, you know, like if someone, if you, if you, if you did an ECG in someone who, um, who was presenting with ACS and it had a left bundle versus a right bundle, you would think those are both abnormal. I'll take them to hospital. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm doing is I'm taking your average kind of chat and I'm, I'm applying some evidence, which is European Society of Cardiology. 2007, though. Teen. Ooh, I didn't hear the teen. <laughs> no, important, though. Yeah. Ten years distinction. Yeah, fine. So there you go, clinical pearl. That's amazing. Brilliant. I'll I'm try. so glad that you shared that with me. And I'll, that's trans going to transform my practice. Unlikely. Uh, it's true. Unlikely. Cool. Fine. Uh, well, that's been a good chat, hasn't it? I think so. Anything else for the episode? Ooh. Um, Draw it to a close then, shall we? Can be sure. Same time next month? Same time next month, pending parenting um, responsibilities, work responsibilities. You're 32. Why do your parents have to have a say? Work, work responsibilities. Any other responsibilities that could come even vaguely above doing this with you. Right. All right, well, maybe next... So what we're saying is 
maybe see you next month. Maybe see you next month if you found this interesting. If you haven't found this interesting, go and listen to the recess room because they're very, very, <laughs> very, very good at what they do and there's absolutely no market for what we're doing. people said when they listened to the intro absolutely um, someone referred Feedback. to me as your fluffer <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, did they miss that they saw us recording the intro then did they sorry hmm? they listened to the recording of the intro oh they didn't see the video no <laughs> thank <laughs> Christ um, and one person said I might get that on a t-shirt for you I am your fluffer I am, I'm the fluffer I'm fluffer. with fluffer any other feedback for the, for the intro? I've had none. Um, mm, the intro, someone said it was funny. That's good. Vague, but I think they're referring to me, not you. Unlikely. Um, do you want to hear about what my wife said? Yeah. She, <laughs> she said, what does he want to achieve with this podcast? <laughs> Is this going to be airable? No. What does he want to achieve with a podcast? And I and I and it and it got me thinking. What is it? You know, what do you want to achieve with any of this? You know. And what did you say? So business is it? I said I think it might be business success, but you know, like realistically, podcast is not going to do that, is it? And and I thought well, maybe it's like brand success, but what is the brand? You, Squarehead. No thanks. <laughs> Squarehead <laughs> Enterprises. That's not the brand. The brand is Prim Ed. Prim. <laughs> yeah. And then what I actually said was, I think he wants to achieve notoriety, but without the <laughs> Get that on there. Oh, and this is still on Facebook Live, yeah? <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, any arable feedback? Broadcastable feedback? No. No, no, cool, cool. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.